Hello, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe. And this is the 15th episode of Season 2 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. Should come out on October 10th, 2019. Getting into them Halloween seasons. Spooky month. Spoopy. Um, well, and I didn't screw that one up like I did last time. So, you know, um, that's good. Let's get right into the beers. Uh, and in a fall kind of think of things... Um, we're going to talk about the Allagash Barrel and Bean. It's a triple L aged in bourbon barrels and blended with cold brewed coffee. Um, let's see. It is 10% ABV, so it's a little stout. Uh, for Barrel and Bean, we age our triple, a or triple, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, a Belgian-style golden ale in bourbon barrels for seven weeks, then blend in cold brewed coffee from Speckled Axe. Flavor notes include vanilla, caramel, and a dash of cold brewed coffee. We brew all our beer at um, a single brewery in Portland, Maine. And uh, they've been doing that since 1995. And they say that they give free tours. Or oh, really? give tours. I don't know about free. But uh, they say they'd love to have you come visit. And I'm looking for the, uh, the ABV. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, 10% ABV. I was looking for an IBU, I'm sorry. But I don't see an IBD by okay. you, you. You look like you drank a little bit of that. You want some more? No, I don't think I do. Here's <laughs> the thing. I'm going to rephrase this that I don't think this beer is bad. Okay. I'm not drinking a lot of it because I started drinking some. My whole body shivered. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I think my body just doesn't like this being on the layers of porter we just drank from the previous episode. That's but possible. It is. It is fairly good. I got, it's got some of that good, mm. like bourbon flavor to it. Yeah, and, it does. and more it's than just the taste, it's almost got like the feel on your tongue of it. You know, there's some of that like heat and burn that just kind of like sits with you for a little while. More than the beer does. You know, the time you drink a beer, it's kind of the hops that sit on you or whatever. Their kind of flavor additive they're going with is. It's, it's fairly smooth. Um, no part of it is super more pronounced than the other, so it's not like the coffee's taken over, the bourbon's no. taken over. It blends pretty well. It's a smooth drink. Got a good, after, like a very pleasant aftertaste. It smells nice, too. It smells real good. It's just I think my stomach's just not having it this morning. Well, so, you know, we tried to make a triple once. Mm-hmm. And that didn't turn out so well, but I've had other triples. Yeah. That I really like a whole lot. Um, I still think a triple would be a very good style of beer for us to make. Yeah, I we agree. just we and really we made the triple part of it well. Yeah, it just didn't ferment right. It yeah, that was totally a fermentation problem as opposed to you know how long we boiled the hops and everything like that. But the 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 point that I'm making is that I I like them mm-hmm. um, and I've never had one that had a bourbon barrel aging yeah. process applied to it and I've never had one that was like a coffee mm-hmm. triple and these are two things that I love and so this beer with that and this is my favorite kind of like more blonde mm-hmm. beer um, I love this Yeah, this is fantastic it's got a really good taste to it and I mean this is like up there with Dragon's Milk I yeah. really like it all I drink this anytime I get my hands on it yeah what I'm really in love with is, is just the feel of it like it finishes very clean, and what all it stays behind is kind of that bourbony sort of flavor yeah. and that feel on your tongue. I mean, it's not in the realm of like a cocktail. If you think about things like whiskey cocktails and kind of like how those taste as like an aftertaste, that's kind of what you're going for. 
And yeah, I'm all about that. That's pretty good. Yeah, this that. So I'm just going to tell you right now, regardless mm-hmm. of what we say about the other beer, because we're not really comparing these two. They're not exactly mm-hmm. the same. Regardless of what we say about them, this beer is one that everyone should try at least once, especially if you like anything to do with whiskey. Yeah. So let's talk about the Sycamore Pumpkin Latte Blonde. It's a blonde ale with coffee and spices. And evidently those are pumpkin spices. It says it's 5.8 ABV. I don't see the IBU rating on it. It looks like it's a family-owned thing. Um, it's a North Carolina beer. Sycamore's a from Charlotte, North Carolina, so the you know local local people always love to to get from them. Um, but yeah, I don't see I don't see an IBU, and they don't really have a description or anything like that on it. So yeah, IBU probably isn't that high. It's not bitter. Um, it does do a very good job of kind of nailing that like pumpkin spice latte sort of feel. It's very pronounced coffee. Um, you, I don't, you get a little bit of pumpkin flavor, but it's mostly the pumpkin spice, which, I mean, that's what a pumpkin spice latte yep. is. Um, that's pretty smooth. I actually like that. Yeah, this is this is the... So, I know the other two beers that we had two podcast, three mm-hmm. podcasts ago now um, were, were pretty good. Um, and that... Uh, so, I think it was episode 12 that we... we yeah, it was episode 12 yeah. that, that we had the, the pumpkin beers. And they were pretty good... Um, the one was not as good as the other. This one has a great pumpkin, like actual pumpkin kind of aftertaste mm-hmm. um, to it, and the pumpkin spice, as far as like a latte goes, is kind of nice there. That that being said, you know I do love pumpkin things. Like um, even before it was popular to have like pumpkin pie drinks and things mm-hmm. like that, which are not that's not necessarily my favorite. But I like I really being a southern boy, love pumpkin pie. Love it. Like, during the fall, when yeah. my grandmother would make it, i just eat it all up. Yeah, pumpkin um, pie, pumpkin bread, and yeah, all of it. All that stuff. So this is a pretty... This is something I could see me, like, in the evening, sitting down outside by a fire, drinking and having a slice of pumpkin pie with it, yeah. or some turkey and cranberry at, like, dinner, and drinking this with it. And it mm-hmm. would kind of go well with that. Yeah. And the coffee notes aren't strong enough. I can I could probably have this anywhere I have coffee. You know, I don't drink early in the morning, but I got I got a relative that calls beers like this a breakfast beer. Mm-hmm. Like you could absolutely have this almost any time of day with almost anything. I mean, if you can drink a cup of coffee with it, you could probably have this beer with it. Yeah, I would I would accept that. Um, I probably wouldn't have this with that. This is a very much a good pumpkiny kind of drink mm-hmm. though. I think this is my favorite of the season so far. Yeah, it's uh, really and, good, and I love the smell of it. Like I, I uh, the the three today that have just had like really good smells. I don't know mm-hmm. if you sniff this one or not, but it just has this kind of like caramel, yeah, pumpkin smell. I mean, it, it very much does smell like a pumpkin coffee. Yeah, it's very nice. I, I could just drink that all day. Yeah, I might go back and get some more. Um, I, I got I got these from a new place. I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> it was well, just next like a, episode a new we'll shot. Have. Yeah. Next episode, I'll go back and I'll grab some more of these sycamores if they have them. So, um, talking about like exciting news. Mm-hmm. So we, I don't think we said anything about Spider Man uh, from the MCU. I, I yeah. know that we've talked about being MCU fans. You know, Spider Man's gone. Yeah. Well, he was gone. Oh, that's exactly what yeah, I was going to yeah, say. Yeah. I was going into it. I, I didn't know. I didn't know if you while well, you read the notes. Okay, but well, he's yeah, not but anymore. My wife burst into my office to tell me when it happened. <laughs> she no respect for my work. Just uh, love you, baby. But um, 
She barreled in. It's like, oh, Spider-Man's going to be back now. It did the same thing. Bojack Horseman's ending, but, yep. you know. It's, uh, well, you know, Bojack Horseman, it's hand on heart, that sucks. Well, it's a great show. Well, they're getting another season, so this is going to be the last season. But but so. at least they're ending it. You know, yeah. like, they're, 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 it's kind of like, um, so Supernatural, it's not, not my favorite show. My wife mm-hmm. really loves it, especially the first five seasons. But I, I would watch it and tolerate it, and there were some good things about it because I felt like the first five yeah. seasons had a coherent storyline. They were pretty good. But CW just kept it going for too long. I would prefer yeah. a show, be a show I can watch over and over again. Exactly. For like a good set of content. Yeah, and that's what I told my wife. Is that I would I would prefer a show be a little bit too short than be too long. But when they go on too long, you kind of, it almost spoils it. Like if it's a little short, you can still be like, oh, maybe it'll be like a spinoff. Or, oh, maybe like, you know, you got some stuff in your imagination, but everything you have is still really good. When it goes on too long, and you suddenly got things that are bad, and you don't want that. Yeah, but when when shows so that it happens when they're too short and when they're too long. If they if they end like a season too early, you can complain mm-hmm. about it, but it's not that bad. Yeah. Um, if they if they go a season too long, you know, like That's you, a season nobody talks about. Yeah, it really but, ended but it really it really ended here, but it's not that big of a deal. But if you got a show that goes on for like double the amount of time mm-hmm. that it was going on. Or you have a show, well, Firefly, that, you get like one season. Yeah, you get one season, but it is so good, and mm-hmm. like they, they 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 kill it. Yeah. So, anyways, back to Spider Man. That's right. Back to Spider Man. Spider Man back. Spider Man's back. Super happy about Spider Man yep. being back because, and now here, here's the thing. Like, I love Spider Man. Had some things happen. Wasn't able to go watch the movie in the theaters, mm-hmm. but I got it coming. Yeah, you know, for Far From Home. I'm pumped okay. about this. Okay. I've, yeah, I have yeah. avoided spoilers. I've avoided yeah. all That's this stuff. And it's really good you mentioned that you hadn't seen it yet because I was about to go into some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that <laughs> you was You were about why. to get spoiled. I, I, was, okay. I, was about, I was about to be upset. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I, um, but I got it, um, you know, I, without watching it because I knew mm-hmm. it was going to be good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I knew, like, I, you know, love into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I I don't like Miles Morales' story, but I, I like I like his character when it's like he's the other Spider-Man in the universe with Peter Parker. Yeah, I love I love that kind of mentor interaction that they mm-hmm. have. Um, I like uh, I even like Spider-Man twenty ninety nine and all like it just Spider-Man Ben Riley like all that sort of stuff. That's all fun stuff for me. I just I like I like the different Spider things. Mm-hmm. I like Spider Gwen. Like I'm down for all the Spider-Man stuff. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I think Spider-Gwen might be my favorite Spider-Man story uh, that's other than the oh, original really? Spider-Man. Yeah, because okay. it's just like she's got some really interesting things going mm-hmm. on with her. So, and, and I mean, you know, not to, not to go off too much, but there's like Spider-Man and Batman. Yeah. You know, like... I love Batman. I love Spider-Man. Captain America was my bro, but then they kind of screwed Captain America up with some new stuff. So, like, I I, I don't like Captain America's comics, newer comics as much, yeah. but I used to love Captain America a whole lot, too. Um, but I don't have, I like, Batman, you know, like, here on the shelf beside mm-hmm. us, there's a Spider-Man and a Batman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I love, love the stuff. Um, and I, I was so disappointed that this was one of the best Spider-Man films Mm-hmm. Series that had come out. There's some there's some weak spots to it, but this was one of the best things, and it tied into a larger Marvel universe, which I was super excited about. And having yeah. it end just so abruptly was so sad for me. It was having it come back as a as a big Spider-Man fan. 
Yeah. Huge. I'm glad they were able to work something out. Yeah, you because know, that that just came down to companies, you know, arguing of who gets what profits and stuff like that. They, and, absolutely. Yeah, and I've heard they're both going to be producing this. Like, if Spider-Man's in it, Sony gets to have some sort of production level role in it, and I think that's just because they can split the movie profits. Because it might not be 100 accurate. This is how I understand it. Because a lot of information was coming out that the whole reason we kind of lost it is that. Disney was getting all the movie money, but then Sony was getting the merchandise money. Merchandise isn't as big as it used to be. Like, it's not, you know, it's not insubstantial. But more people are watching the Spider-Man movie than are buying a Spider-Man t-shirt. Yeah, well, yeah. So so there there was a, um, a, a renegotiation because they, yeah, uh, yeah. So they only had them for, like, two films. Films? films yeah, they had them for two films, films. to renegotiate. But that, that was the deal that Disney <laughs> yeah. was offering, is that you'll yeah. get all the... Merchandise money, we'll get all the movie money, and they weren't happy with that. They, they weren't happy with that understand. because it was like the, the last Spider-Man made like one point five billion. Oh yeah, it's a ton of money. Yeah. So I'm just hoping now that we've had like into the Spider-Verse, I feel a little more comfortable with Sony having a little bit of a role in it because most of Spider movies, man's movies have not been great. There have been some good ones, but they have not overall been amazing. Until well, well, so the production value has always been really good for them, though. Yeah. The, the Tobey Maguire one. I mean, we can we can forget about Spider Man three, but Tobey mm. Maguire and the other dude that played uh, the yeah, amazing, I was talking about yeah that the, those two things. The, the yeah, ultimate, the production value was always really good. Yeah, you know, for <clears> time appropriate, I mean, clearly they invested um, good money in effects. So, so if if they're involved in the production, I don't yeah. mind that as long as they're not trying to like change the story, change too the story much. too yeah. much. I, yeah. I don't need to see <clears> Uncle Ben again. We've seen yeah. him enough. Yeah, but you know, Uncle Ben, great guy, but you're dead. Just stay dead. Stop, stop, well, re, they, stop they, readjusting every Spider-Man iteration. Because that's what I was most scared about. Yeah, was that they weren't gonna, you know, okay, it would have been sad. Spider-Man's gone. I mean, even sadder. It's like I mean, we're gonna read just Spider-Man again. Yeah, let's yeah, have just move on with the story. Let's keep going forward. There's so many other yeah. good things that we can tell from the Spider-Man comic that, like, I mean, Spider-Man and Deadpool, mm-hmm. they have like kind of a bromance. It would be yeah. great. If they, since now Marvel has the Deadpool rights, yep. if they pull in, I mean, could you imagine Tom Holland and we get the current Deadpool up yeah. on, up on there, getting Ryan's nice. Reynolds and Tom Holland, mm-hmm. like on the same screen doing their PG 13 and rated R like stuff together. Yeah. It would be amazing. Um, so that, that's the sort of thing I'm looking forward to. I'm hoping. That, that will go go forward with this. And, I mean, if they hadn't have done that, that would have just been so much money lost. It would have been, yeah. Uh, because that's such a popular thing right now. Really so is. many nerds are like, Especially because they're building him up to kind of be like the next like Iron Man surrogate sort of thing for the MCU. Yeah, I guess so. He, he, really, he really shouldn't be, but, but he could be. If they if they play it right, because I mean Peter Parker had some has some things yeah. that he can he, he can land there. So um, let's talk about the Facebook cryptocurrency. I think it's called mm-hmm. Libra um, or Librum. No, Libra. Yeah. Libra is the name of it. Um, so we we're just mentioning this because it's um, mm. while while we were on break they started kind of bringing it up more. And I didn't feel like it was necessary to talk about it because it kind of ended up being a thing that they, that Facebook got regulated out. They were told they had yeah. to stop working on They weren't allowed to release it to the public and some other things like that, mm-hmm. especially in America. It looks like some of that's changing. 
and that Facebook might be able to like go forward with some of the the mm. the work that they're doing there, or, or at least I read uh, I read something that said something to that effect, kind yeah. of effect. And so now I feel like okay, well, since that might be on the table again, let's talk about it for just a moment. How do you feel about uh, so? We've talked about like some of the interesting things about cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. One of the best things about it is that it's anonymized. Yeah. How do you feel about a company that is going to definitely de-anonymize that? Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing. I think the big cryptocurrency push of the public fell through. You know, we saw it with Bitcoin, and a lot of people got a lot of news attention, but then also got a lot of news attention when it crashed. So it's going to be harder to get regular people into it again. Coming from a company like Facebook that's going to have a reason to want to use it, but it's also going to be tied so into your social media, it's probably not really going to be anonymous. I imagine it is going to turn into Facebook currency. Yeah. It is going to be what you do your little app purchases with. Yep. It's going to be what you do this with, and that's, that's what it is, which is sad because you're, like, you're wasting the potential of a cryptocurrency with that. But that is what I see happening, is that it becomes this Facebook premium currency thing they get to play with. But what, what if everybody got you know, the ability to mine Facebook the more social media posts they had? Right? So they got more Libra currency mm-hmm. when, they, when they put more social media posts out there, and they were able to, if they got more likes on their posts, they... Yeah, but even the, 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 that, that's not mining. That's, we're, we're calling it a cryptocurrency because, you know... That's the technology it's built on. But that's just a premium currency. I mean, there's plenty of systems that exist like that for other things where it's like, uh, oh, you did good in this game, or oh, you know. It, it, it's. Or even though it's like we used to have, I don't know if they still exist anymore, but like when I was growing up, there were tons of these like free browser games that had like social media aspects to them. And it's like, oh, you got this post, you got these likes, here's your 50 gems, like that sort of thing. That's just what it's turning into. Um, and that's that's the way I want to think about it because thinking about it like a cryptocurrency lends itself to a lot of expectations. I don't think it'll have. I don't think it'll be anonymous. I don't think it'll be unregulated. I don't think it'll be freely transferable. Um, this is going to become, you know, uh, some sort of incentive to use Facebook more or give Facebook more information. Or... So, so what what you're saying is that if it's not built by a cryptographic algorithm. To where it has to solve that algorithm over and over, and it gets harder as it goes forward in the um, cryptographic lifespan of that algorithm, then it's not really a cryptocurrency? I guess I'm not really saying that. I guess in my mind, a, we, we can call, like, a horse a horse, right? Like, it is probably, by all definitions, technically a cryptocurrency with the way it runs. I don't know enough about the technology that underlies it. But I think at the same time, you know, you bring a zebra in and you bring, like, a racehorse in. Yeah, it's both still related to horses. There's some common genes there. They might be in the same, uh, you know, familia of, of creature. But you have different expectations for the racehorse and you do the zebra. Mm-hmm. When people throw out cryptocurrency, there's this expectation of kind of how it is acquired, the way it's regulated, the restrictions of how you can use it, and you know things of that nature, this kind of free currency. Because the currency part's what gets you. Because anything can be currency. You know, as many <clears throat> nations as we've had, many civilizations, currency is just whatever they want it to be. But I don't think this is ever going to be a 
like a currency that's used within like an actual society. Like this isn't going to be like the dollar. It's going to be like the yen or even like little clay tokens they used to trade around like in, in the agricultural revolution and things like that. This is very much going to be Facebook dollars. It, mm. It's more akin in my mind to the premium currency we see on other websites than it is going to be to an actual cryptocurrency. So let, let me ask you this. Um, if what, what if your browser was to stay open and Facebook had a JavaScript app that just mined this currency using your computer resources mm -hmm. um, and it got deposited into your Facebook account as long as you left your browser open on a computer that was beefy enough to run it? Mm -hmm. how, how do you... What, what I mean, it? it's still... I mean, it's technically with the way it runs, it's still cryptocurrency. But did I do the exact same thing on Cookie Clicker when I wanted more cookies to play my little web game of course i did and that's what this is going to turn into like i guess yeah that's my hang up is the it's, you know by definition look at the white papers what it is compared to what's it going to be used for if i can't ever use this thing and no one's going to adopt it except to give somebody a gold on their facebook post it's premium currency for facebook you know what i'm saying all right so i'm i'm done with playing the devil's advocate i i you know sitting here just like i, I couldn't even hardly keep a straight face mm. Um, I, I think this is a bad idea. Uh, having Facebook in charge of anything. Uh, so that I don't... That there's different levels of the devil. There's different. This is one of the nine levels of hell mm -hmm. um, that we're talking about here. But this is the bottom level. This is the one where you have Asmodeus or you know one of the other yeah. like chief demons of hell torturing you for eternity. Um it it is clearly a, a play by one of the like worst yeah. abusers well, it, of human uh, of of human privacy. Yeah, and yeah. there's got to be some lawyers' game here to it because there are very strict regulations for companies having a real currency. I mean, when you look at things like Twitch, why do you have bits when a couple of years ago you could actually just like donate money? And I guess you can still donate money now, but it's like a different system. It's because having bits be a currency, like actually used and equivalent to money, is a huge legality issue for these companies. And so that's kind of why I get this feeling that the, the Facebook stuff isn't going to go yeah. anywhere. I don't believe the regulation has changed so much that now it can be a real currency as opposed to this is our way to mine data from you to get, you know, fancy Facebook points. Plus, I'm not sure I want to go into that dystopian future where companies yeah. are creating the currency. They're the ones that are in control of it and things like that. Well, I mean, I, mean I, don't really, I don't really love that governments are in control of that things, but that makes more sense because the government is really, like, whether it's for the people or it's not for the people, yeah. the government really has to have a populace that it takes it care does. of. It can't neglect one group of people and continue like anytime we see that happening like where um you know something probably as bad is going to happen to brazil this guy is mm. a, a, a part of its people group is being neglected and it's just kind of like yeah let's do that yeah but like in you know just about every other country when we saw in russia the bolsheviks being neglected the mm. in um you know england in the past where uh, there was uh, the Tudors had problems with being neglected, where the Irish were neglected, where 
we saw uh, you know people groups in in Rome that were neglected, whether mm-hmm. it was the Christians or the Gauls or whatever, you know, when Muslims were neglected in certain at certain time periods in the past, that always had dire effects for whatever people group, and that still yeah. happens today. Mm-hmm. But it generally has problems for the government. So especially when it comes to being able to earn a living or being able to have money or anything like that, having a company that's in control of that, yeah. Well, I'm I mean, not sure would have that we, same. We've effect. already had something like that. Almost, <clears throat> almost this exact same end word before. I, I'm failing my history lessons by not remembering the name of it. But like early 1900s, you had people working for companies. They didn't pay you with U.S. dollars. They paid you with company bucks, and the company had um, like provision oh, the, stores. Their store, you your food yes, from that was in the stuff like that, that was the during the mill days. Yeah, the mill controlled everything, and that just fell apart like quick. Oh yeah, and it, it was it was hell. We outlawed it because it <clears> needed <throat> to be hell because it was just yeah. companies dipping in to like they're making money off of you making money, and it's a circular, unlivable system. India and, still has a similar thing like that with um, people that go into like a debtors kind of thing to a mm-hmm. company. Um, it it is it is basically short of enslavement, um, and this this is just whatever way Facebook wants to place it. If it was Google talking about it, I might consider it a little bit more. Or if it was Apple talking about it, I might consider it. But I I think I would still come to the same conclusion that any currency that you would have from a company like that is just a bad idea. They shouldn't be in control of us. Let's talk about Apple since we just mentioned them. Mm -hmm. So you know that uh, I showed you my new iPad uh, OS a moment ago where I put the iPad down. Yep. Okay. So I do have something to talk about this time. Um, <clears throat> so you know that the uh, iPad has its own OS now, and so the iPhone has uh, iOS, iPad has mm-hmm. iPad OS. So I don't know if you can you can look at this, guys. You can't mm-hmm. see this on yeah. the podcast. I'm showing this to Ricky, but um, these all the icons and mm-hmm. everything got smaller. Yeah. So it's more like a desktop. Mm-hmm. So it's like a 10 inch laptop now for the iPad Pro. Um, and the everything has a native dark mode like they went to with yeah. uh, uh, the Mac and OS Yeah, X. I heard about that. Yeah. So there's some other improvements that they made for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the two most exciting. For me, anyways, and I'm going to tell you why, Like, and, and you can tell me what you think about it. Uh, don't, don't know why I prefaced like okay. that. But anyways. We're on the podcast. Uh, I'll tell you what I think about it. <laughs> I promise. Um, but so just like when I talked about having a dark mode on so many other mm-hmm. things, it saves battery life. Mm-hmm. It, prov- it like Anytime I have a dark mode or something that can like, mute those really bright colors, yeah, yeah. It, say, it, like, it is so painful to my eyes. When I'm, especially if I'm in like a darker room or something oh, like yeah, that, yeah. it just it, it blinds me. Um, and uh, Android, the native Android 10 has a dark mode mm. too. That's yep, the same I got it way. on like all the time. Yeah, so I, like having this moving towards this is awesome. I hate that my uh, phone that my mm-hmm. phone is still on Android 9 because I want that Android 10 dark mode. I love the shade that comes down that's dark. Um, yeah. I have my my Pixel 2. Awesome. It's great. Um, I'm looking forward to getting a phone that has Android 10 um, eventually. Unfortunately, it'll probably go away with the headphone jack. But, yeah, that's um, true. Uh, but I'm looking forward to having you know that dark mode on. Um, 
but having it on my iPad has been great. It's yeah. it's awesome, and having it on my um, you know Mac computers, I'd love for Windows to have a, a similar thing. That's not like a high contrast thing yeah. or something like that. Yeah, on every device I have that supports it, I go dark mode and I put a blue light filter on when it's at night, and it's so slick. Yeah, it looks weird. My my wife, I put my phone and say, "What's wrong with your phone?" <laughs> and it's like I, I turn the blue light filter all the way to max. Yeah, but I, I'd be lying if I say I wasn't sleeping better. Yeah, it's a exact. I do the same thing. Like my, I have my blue light filter comes on at seven, mm-hmm. I think, and on all of my computers, I have that set up. Um, the only thing in my house that doesn't have a blue light filter on it is my TV set. Yeah, yeah, but I can't do anything about that. So, I but I I have all that set up. Um, but I mean specifically, Apple's move towards this. Apple ten ha, in the past has tended to be like an industry leader on these things and now they're more like kind of following in the footsteps of some of the other places or they heard that somebody else was doing it and all these other places are kind of converging together yeah. at the same time so I'm, I'm just curious like what do you what do you think about Apple following that drum is it because it's a good idea or do they see some sort of profit there like what's kind of the the thing that you see being... I think end of the day it becomes those like low hanging fruits of feature discussion like when you release a new product you want to have as big a list of new features as possible because there's a ton of people who aren't going to be technical enough to really know what most of the features are but they'll have the print on look headline from PC Tech is 105 new features in the new whatever and this goes for Apple but also anything else I mean that's just how the technology world is you you want to constantly show like you know quarter to quarter sprint to sprint here's our improvement and I feel like dark mode is a very low-hanging fruit now. Mm-hmm. You know, it was maybe a bigger technical limitation in the past because things were a little bit less standardized. But I would really not be surprised if, if it's not already in Android 10, or probably in like Android 11, that there is a there's a common theme for how to do dark mode. It's like if you're an app developer. It's just part of your build tool resources to mm-hmm. implement it, and you don't have to do anything custom with it. I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when all of the other programs are able to integrate mm-hmm. into that standardized workflow, and yeah. they have that dark mode option. Dark mode option, so text is bright, you know, mm-hmm. like white or gray, and or green or something like mm-hmm. that, and we have more dark themes that can go through these yeah. things. That that's going to be really nice. Yeah, I mean, it's not you know that really hard to do but I can see it is a, is a technical barrier it's getting easier but I mean I was playing a little indie game that came out years ago it's still actively in development one of these be like community resource games sort of thing but I realized it it has a dark mode you can turn on but it's it's almost like this like sim life sort of RPG where like you, know, you go to school and, and things like that and like time passes and it it has adaptable like dark mode based on the time of day you're in the game. Oh, that's like pretty neat. In the morning, it's like a little, almost like a pinkish, like sunrise. And as time goes on, you know, it hits a you know, dark mode by the time it's, you know, 10 o'clock and that sort of thing. And, you know, we got indie developers putting adaptive dark mode tied to... <laughs> like, how hard would it be to tie that to an actual NTP server that actually does it live based yeah. on time? You know, it, it, the technology's out there. It's when did it become easy enough to implement? It's the easy checkbox as opposed to, well, we have to pick this feature and that feature. I think most of the time it won't win the this versus that. But when it's a checkbox, 
I think you'd be foolish not to have it. I, so I kind of feel like the other way around. In the So one of the things about it is it saves on battery life. It does. Because it turns off pixels. On so the I screen. think the screen is I think the biggest drain. People that understand the technology that are going to you know, use it for even even just outside of it's easier on my eyes, you use it for performance and things like that. We value it much higher than, say, my wife, who probably only knows about dark mode. Of like, oh, it's kind of nice to have that at night when I'm browsing my phone in bed, but I can also just turn down the brightness. So, like, you know, what's the difference? Well, so that there is a huge difference. There is, but I don't think the average person thinks about that. Well, while that that may not be, a- Apple and you know Lenovo and all these mm-hmm. other companies, they want to go forward and say, my computer is able to last ten hours. Yeah, they want to be able to say my phone is able to last ten hours or fifteen hours or twenty hours with constant use. And the only way we're going to start achieving that is by having these efficiencies where we find places that we're able to use less power. And the biggest power sink is the screen. Yeah. And so when you have a more power-efficient screen that you're using less pixels mm-hmm. to be to be lit at a time, you're having more power efficiency. Yeah. And if we're, if, if we're trying to reach that new development stage of better battery life, that's like one of the next things that you have to do. That's true, but I still think you get that disconnect with the user because, on one hand, you know companies do not shy away from throwing a feature up there or claim on there of like, well, this is how long my device lasts, you know, asterisk, you know, in this in this sort of type of mode and things like that. But if the average person is not using dark mode or isn't really aware of dark mode yet, which I think more and more people are starting to use it. But if, if you give that laptop to five people, and there's just five average people, and we say one of those five just instantly, oh, I'm going to turn everything to dark mode because I like dark mode. And the other four are like, I don't really care about it. And you tell them, you know, your laptop lasts for 12 hours, and it dies after six. They're going to complain. And, you know, they're going to have no legal standing because you're, you're, you're 12 hours clearly stated in dark mode. But they're going to be on social media complaining. They're going to be telling their friends and complaining. Well, so, but th- this is the thing that I'm saying. If everything goes to dark mode, then all uh, everything is just by default dark mode. And most people are going to pick the default. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's true. But I think at the same time, how do you get there? It has to be a standardized tool in your tool set. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm, I'm just more putting out there that instead of it being something that's nice to have, I think it's going to become a must-have, like in the future. Yeah. We talk a couple of years from now. I can I can 100% see that, that they're just going to ship in dark mode, ready to use. You can swap it off if you want, and that becomes like high contrast mode or, you know, whatever. They'll, they'll call it whatever they want. Bright Light mode. mode. Yeah, bright mode. Yeah, suddenly, like you know, it's not dark mode. It's bright mode. Dark mode's the default and stuff like that. And Which, and then we'll have people that are like, oh, yeah, it, it kills your battery life, but it's so cool to have bright mode because we've had the darkness forever and it's been like living in medieval times. I, I predict that'll happen, too. Oh, it will, but it'll also <laughs> happen a couple of years after that and we'll have better yeah. battery technology. Yeah. You know. And, well, I'm not sure that the battery technology, because the, so... It you're still not going to hit that level of because you in, in order for a pixel to be in like a lighter setting it has mm-hmm. to be on so if it's going to be gray or any shade up to mm-hmm. white you know whether it's red blue green yellow it yeah. has to be on 
And so if if we're talking about OLED to screen, screens or something like that where you can actually turn the pixel off and it's just the way you get black is by it not being yeah, on, yeah. that is a huge difference between the, the picture being, you know, as far as like a battery goes, hmm. between the picture like displaying on all the picture, on all the pixels, even yeah. if it's supposed to be black, because they're still trying to like have some shade of gray there mm-hmm. because it's on, or you're selectively turning on the pixels. And I think having it on default is is going to be a big deal. And having people that are like, oh, later on, this is this is bright mode. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to have bright mode on, and we're going to be able to see everything that's on the phone. And yeah, it doesn't have the inky blacks, but it's so yeah. bright. You know, it's white and everything like that. That that'll never reach that level of battery sustainability. That the dark oh well, it'll never be the same. But I think there is a level of kind of active use time that then is just going to hit a redundant level. I mean, to me, where do I draw that line? Of okay, yeah, you know, my phone I got to charge every two or three days. About you know maybe my my watch if I'm wearing it maybe once every two weeks. You know, when do I hit that point that extra time is arbitrary? Yeah. You know, if I have to charge my my watch every two weeks as opposed to every three weeks, don't really care about that extra week. You know what I'm saying? It eventually, we'll have battery technology that's so advanced. Already, the charge time is so long. Like, oh, well, yeah, turning on bright node cuts, you know, your time in half. You only got to charge your phone once a week for all these bright colors. Yeah. You know, you know, there, there's there's the, that sort of thing. It's where it's like kind of a mint. You know, eventually there is this level of, okay, my device is on long enough, I'm happy with it. And we're kind of already there for our current technologies. You know, people say, oh, I want a little bit longer. And I think people do online. I'd love to only have to charge my phone once every two weeks. But for most people, that feature is not the game changer. Oh, look how much better my camera is. Look at how nice, much better my screen is. And that's kind of what drives it. I think eventually we're going to hit a point where, okay, my screen is really, really great. And that's awesome. My This is really, really great. And when we switch over to dark mode, well, then we say, hey, look, my battery's really, really good. But you kind of can't get too much more battery efficiency out of your uh, your display screen by being mm-hmm. off. You know, there's no more off than off. Right. So when we start talking about now we need to drive battery more, after we make that big hit and we make people really happy and they're like, oh, I used to have to charge my phone every 18 hours. Now i got to charge every four days. That's great. Then we'll say, well, we've got this extra good battery. Charge it every eight days. And, you know, just like, you know, we're battling now about megapixels and things like that. Eventually, we'll get back into that battle with battery life after the first company comes out with the default. They look how much longer mine is. Yeah, so I, uh, when we find a new battery technology that lasts longer or something like that, but power efficiency mm-hmm. still will be a huge thing. Oh, yeah. Us. And if you, have, if you have a processor that's more power efficient, because, you know, we're going to get those. Mm-hmm. The ARM processors are always getting more power efficient as we move towards... Lower nanometer, um, you know, chipsets uh, towards the, the 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 microprocessors being yeah. being smaller. The, they become more power efficient. We gain more uh, efficiencies uh, by having uh, being able to spread work across more cores uh, while not having as high of a core count. Uh, then we can have lower power mm-hmm. you know, devices too. We can underclock them. There's all sorts of different techniques there. But when you're talking about software. Um, the things that you can do to make things more efficient 
you start limiting yourself because there's only so many things that you can do to to have efficiency. You can lower yeah. the amount of processes you're doing at a time. You can, yeah. you know, you can lower the but but if it's not using as much of the hardware resources, the software isn't. Hmm. That's really where you get your efficiency, and that's what we're talking yeah. about here. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I don't see us going that direction. I see us going that direction in terms of features, and when we talk about well, dark mode, that's a click button, you're easy. You know, we really are going to start moving towards when we look at the you know the SDK for and that's the standard development kit for a lot of these apps. It's what's going to be like button ready that most people are going to use. I think long gone are the days that we do resource management like we used to. Now, even when I was in school, it was going away. Or really, it was more like the professor was like, well, it's kind of already gone. It's gotten worse since I've been there. You know, there was, there was a time, and there still is in like hardware engineering. But there was a time in software engineering where you really sat down and you said, okay, how big do I expect this number to be when I'm making a variable? It's going to be a two-bit integer. Yeah. And I'm not going to let it be bigger. So I'm going to take even less. You know, you look at how did we get applications that run on half a meg of, of space, like just on your hard drive, and never more than that. And it's because we had these very... And the languages were harder. You know, it's just, just C and C++ where those things are integral. When you make stuff in C today, you still have to do that. But now that we've got all of these programming languages that kind of do that stuff for you, they're interpreter-based, it's got to be as big as it needs to be, a lot of that stuff is going away. And, you know, we've got the hardware for it. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing or that we've made a wrong decision there. But at, at some point, I think we are going to hit that level of on-off. I so, save the efficiency by my, my program not doing something as opposed to it. I think we're in the glory days of that. I think really? that that is going to change within the next five years, because the only so so like what we're trying to do is get we're going for the race for the highest clock counts that we can with our architectures. We're trying to get towards lower processor, um, more processor counts on smaller processor microprocessors, mm -hmm. and our software is having to is right now just like everybody's just like oh we can use as much of it as we want to but the lessons that we learned from the past is that these things are not infinite and we will hit a wall at some point where we have to start thinking about the actual resource constraints of these mm -hmm. things so i believe that probably five ten years down the road i don't know exactly when it's going to be we're going to hit a resource constraint where you know apples to to get the same performance that they're getting now but at like these new levels when we get when we hit 128 bit cpus or you know mm. something else like that when we get to that point we're gonna have to we're gonna have another wall that we're gonna hit right before that 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 we're we're like oh we can't go any further with this to get more performance we have to start thinking about how we constrain our resource our resources really so that's yeah. interesting because i i kind of have to completely disagree with that but that that's yeah. what happened in 16-bit and 32-bit resource management yeah but but not to that that level so here, here's why i disagree with that that goes against the opposite of all the market trends when you look at how companies are developing software now now, one of the big things, and this is stuff that people don't talk about that much about software development, 
But if you look at like Silicon Valley, you're going to use like the hotbed for where most big company software development is done. Mm-hmm. Those software developers are getting paid less and less and less every single year. Yep. Because it's kind of becoming easier and easier and easier to develop software yep. as these things are going through. And really, the average company is now not really starting to care about how long their app is out. It's about the short sale of software. And it's not really necessarily true for the operating systems. You know, if we say, hey, in 15 years of Microsoft, are they going to be really heavy on resource constraints? I think they probably will be, because they are today compared to most other companies. You know, operating systems, hardware engineering, those are kind of the big exceptions. But we've entered uh, a stage that I think most people are not getting hardcore education for computer science classes in resource management. Now you're getting some of it. You're not getting a whole lot of it. You know, you look at the repos of people writing software today, even in big companies like ours. We're, we're not going into these resource management, or we're doing very limited levels of it, you know. Maybe in the back of your head you're saying, okay, I have too many sessions open, the server won't handle it, so I have to cap that. Or, you know, I'll build my own cache to work in so I don't accidentally move over to the RAM and things like that. But my my thought is more that when we hit that level, when we do eventually hit our hardware restrictions, which are quite a bit away off, you know, the, the processor, not as much. You know, we've been knowing, we've known for quite a while that, you know, Consumer grade processors are kind of going to hit their peak here pretty soon. Mm. Um, you know, in terms of efficiency, because you know, yeah, you can get ones that are less power done, but like there's entire lectures you can watch about, like, look, you know, we're hitting a point that the consumer grade processor will always have more and more cores, but there's, you know, those things aren't, I, I mean, those things can be infinite, you can, you know. It's based on how big your board space is and how small you can make stuff. But the logic to balance things is not a one-to-one. -one. You know, if you yeah. have two cores, you're not twice as good as one core. Right. Um, and you know, the larger more cores you have, the more that has to balance and things of that nature. But I think what we're instead going to see is we're going to hit a level where hardware has kind of stagnated a little bit. And companies are going to be more concerned about making their software cheap since they're used to it being cheap and getting it sold and used, they aren't necessarily going to be about the system. Because I don't think, I think Microsoft, I think Apple, I think Google, when the people that are selling you a device care a lot about the efficiency because they want to be able to say, oh, I've got this long, a lifetime. I've got this cool new processor that does this. You know, I can, you know, you're selling an engineering machine. This is how fast I can do an AutoCAD of this level and things like that. But... The average person selling you software cares about selling you that software, and if they're, if your computer starts being slow, they're going to say, okay, well, what else are you running? Oh, that other competitor software? No, you're just running too much. You need to go get more X. You need to go do more Y. Because that's what we see today. You know, there's. I was reading an article about, and you look at the average price a developer gives me. It's so super off from what developers actually make. Like, already... You know, developers make a little bit less. You know, every couple of years, because it's becoming well, new uh, developers make a little bit less. That's true. Years. It would be like the the same level. So if you have five years experience, five years from now you make a little bit less than you would have five yeah. years ago if you only had five years experience. But there is out there a whole subgenre of developers that make like, you know, we're going to talk North Carolina money. 
like $40,000 a year that are real software developers. All they yeah. do is 100% software development. And it's just that they're, they're generally not very good at it. You know, maybe they don't have any education at all, or if they have some education, it's a poor education. And they're basically the people that just churn out little apps and other pieces of software for people. And they know they're not good, and the companies that sell them know they're not good, but it's enough to make a profit, so they do it. So I, I see what you're saying with that, and I, I don't necessarily disagree overall about the current trend like in the next two to three years. But I'm talking about like five to ten years down the road, and I think that everybody, the SDKs, the the, the basic way that you mm-hmm. develop these things, not the way that you're taught to do it, because we're still working off of 1965 teachings, yeah. you know, in, in college. Well, um, it's, well, it's, not, okay, it's so, not that bad. So 1975. Not, well, <laughs> we, we aren't, we aren't quite up, we aren't quite up to the 90s. 2014. Yet. No. no, I mean, it, it, as someone who's gone through this, the average delay at a university that keeps up to date, you know, there could be I, I, I understand, but I, but I, I'm saying like the, the 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 how far we are behind and how exponentially far we go forward. There, there's a huge gap there between learning and and what someone needs to be to be at at one of these places developing things that are efficient for these companies. You have to learn so much mm-hmm. in between. Okay, so yeah, you want to say the difference between like uh, someone fresh out of college and a senior engineer. Yeah, there's a lot of experience there. So, but but yeah. also like when we go to like things like uh, if if I'm learning Python, mm-hmm. the things that I'm learning about are things from like the 70s and 80s where we were talking about resource constraints for 8-bit machines, you know, or 16-bit machines. Uh, And even though we're talking about 32-bit and 64-bit machines, we still have like some of those word count constraints that we're concerned with. And that while they're important, Mm -hmm. they're not, it's important to understand, we're not teaching the necessarily the... um, the, the the way that you need to correlate that to like modern technologies. So I, I, I'm saying that from that standpoint, not not from like are we teaching technologies from what era, but what te- what technology concepts are we necessarily teaching with those technologies? Um, and you know there there's some there's some places mm. they're going to teach more like 2014 2015 type type era stuff and that's only like five years old okay that's fine and you can learn other things if you want to on your own and so forth so on mm. and so forth I'm not I'm not necessarily talking about that but what I'm what I'm saying is if you look at the trend of the past and how we're repeating a lot of those same mm. things now with with the way that we're thinking about things we're going in this rise and fall of of things in the future we are probably going to be at some sort of issue where we have resource constraints and we have to start thinking about the way that we're actually applying the software to the hardware we the the because the hardware resource yeah i mean i can i can definitely see someday we loop back around i'm just not sure i see that as soon as 10 years because you're right. I mean, software development and really just how people think about software does go in these circles. I mean, when I was in school, the big hot thing was basically like object-driven programming and you're, you're making your classes, you're building things based around what is the real-world thing I'm trying to you know, emulate here. 
And, you know, then it goes back to, well, what if we were maybe doing this all stuff? And, you know, don't, don't structure it like that. That's that's stupid. Instead, structure it in, you know, this way. And then, like, well, you know, maybe now Agile is really what you should be doing. All these little small commits. And they're like, well, that didn't really work out because we didn't understand it. So we'll go back to Waterfall. And, like, these things kind of go in, in these loops. And they have for, like, a yeah. long time. Yeah, absolutely. I just think we're pretty far <clears throat> off from that loop back around to where this hits because most and this is one place I'll just have to disagree almost any university that's accredited you know mm-hmm. there's universities that aren't accredited the average delay between what is happening in the world you know not necessarily what's happening at Google the bleeding edge we look at you know what is being done in software development there's about a five year delay and that's because it takes about that long to vet a curriculum to write the books to get it into the students and then kind of get the students out of school and you know, and that's kind of what they tell you. You're, you're a couple years behind, you know, the the layout in general. You know, if you go work at the big company, you're probably further behind than that because they're doing some new stuff. But I know right now today they are not teaching this resource stuff as heavily as even they did when I was in school. Mm-hmm. And I got some of it, but I didn't get a whole whole lot yep. of it. You know, my father, when he was doing this sort of stuff, got way, way, got way more. That's of it. all of his life, um, what his stuff yep. was. So even if tomorrow we hit that resource constraint and then it became a real big topic for everybody, it'd be five years before new developers were coming out that, or really, you know, longer than that, it'd be nine years because they have to go through their entire curriculum just for the new developers to be coming through with that mentality. So that, but that's that's within five to ten years. But that's if it happened tomorrow, and I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. I can. I, I, can I think believe... we're closer to it. We're a lot closer to it than you think we are. I mean, I'm not. I will see, but I just don't think we're quite there yet. I mean, because I, I mean, I look at our repositories, and not even the ones that we develop, but just the ones our companies develop. <laughs> And we're not doing these practices. I'm, I'm looking at the chipset technologies that are coming out in the next year mm-hmm. and how we're, we're iterating on those things and what, what's happening. And uh, we're, at, we're at a place where we're about to hit one of those another. Oh, well, yeah. But see, there's a, there's a big difference between when does the hardware stop being in the, the optimum place for it to be as opposed to when is the drive from the consumer for the technology going to be there. Because uh, we're going to have to hit the limited chipsets. And then we're going to have to have people running enough software that's resource managed badly enough for it to become an issue. But that, so uh, we, we can stop it here. Yeah, we're just, we, we, we just talk disagree about it all day. We'll talk about it until, un, until the cows come home. But we, we don't, what we don't disagree on is that it's coming. What yes, we do disagree coming. on I'm is necessarily the time period. Yeah. Uh, which is, is, is fine. I mean, maybe my prediction's off by a year or two. But I think that probably within the next five to ten years, we're gonna we're gonna start seeing those people starting to be concerned. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not every developer, we're just gonna start seeing the the concerns and start the talk about we yeah. got resource constraints and things. Yeah, like and that. I think I can very firmly say that those talks will start happening within five to ten yeah. years. That that's I what I think. I'm we'll, yeah, about. I think we'll notice the problem within them. But I think the Googles, the Microsofts, the Apples, those are gonna start con- being concerned with those resource mm-hmm. constraints. Yeah, we just probably won't have that. Pro- I think that problem fixed for a while longer because it does yeah. take a while. For it's your it's not. It's uh, I'm not saying it's gonna be fixed. I'm just saying. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna start having to be concerned about those things. Anyways, uh, so 
we've we've captured probably 15 to 30 minutes more of your time right. than we thought we would and you loved it hopefully <laughs> uh, well yeah. you had to because you wouldn't be here if you didn't yeah love it. you would have exactly. already left you would have said i don't care about this um next to beer <laughs> next beer um so this has been the 15th episode of season two of the beer and broadband podcast uh we have a twitter and we'd love for you to engage with us there uh, we're thinking about doing a. Uh, maybe uh, uh, like an untapped or something like that, where we can like kind of share our beers with you guys. If you'd love, if you'd love to see that, let us know on Twitter. Uh, otherwise, um, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.